At what lengths would you go for true love? Over the last several weeks, I found myself lesson planning, even though I know I won't be returning to the classroom in August. One of the plays I taught was Romeo and Juliet, and nearly every student comes in thinking that's the greatest love story of all time. But is it really? The eternal themes of love have been a source of inspiration and fascination throughout human history, sparking countless tales of passion, sacrifice, and heartache. Amid this rich tapestry of love stories, one of the most iconic and tragic tales is William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. This timeless play explores the complexities of love and infatuation, and what a contrast those two can be. On one side in Romeo and Juliet, we witness the powerful force of infatuation. Romeo Montague and Juliet Capulet, two star-crossed lovers from feuding families, are drawn to each other like moths to a flame. Their initial attraction is immediate and intense, characterized by a whirlwind of emotions and impulsivity. Shakespeare creates an infatuated state, highlighting its heady rush, the thrill of secrecy, and the desire to be consumed by one another. In contrast, true love in Romeo and Juliet could be argued to evolve throughout the play. As their relationship deepens, the young lovers learn to navigate the obstacles surrounding them. Their bond transcends physical attraction, touching the soul in profound ways. True love, as exemplified through Romeo and Juliet, requires patience, sacrifice, and unwavering devotion. Their love isn't simply about fleeting passion, but a profound connection that withstands the test of time and adversity. Tragically, the play also demonstrates the consequences of infatuation. Romeo and Juliet's impulsive decisions, fueled by their infatuation, lead to a series of disastrous events. Their haste in marrying after only knowing each other for a short time and Romeo's impulsivity in reacting to Tybalt ultimately contribute to the devastating end. But on the other hand, true love is a force that preserves throughout the darkest of times. In the midst of the Montague and Capulet feud, Romeo and Juliet find solace and strength in each other. Their love becomes a beacon of hope amid the chaos and they're willing to make the ultimate sacrifice to be together. Which has me wondering... What sacrifices should someone make for quote-unquote true love? Surely it would be taking a bullet for the person you love, or maybe taking their place in a dangerous situation. But the star-crossed lovers at the center of today's case cause true love, commitment, trust, and even religion to be thrown aside as they put their love affair above everything else. This is the case of the Hall Mills murders. Welcome to Coffee and Cases, where we like our coffee hot and our cases cold. My name is Allison Williams. And my name is Maggie Dameron. We will be telling stories each week in the hopes that someone out there with any information concerning the cases will take those tips to law enforcement so justice and closure can be brought to these families. With each case, we encourage you to continue in the conversation on our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, because, as we all know, conversation helps to keep the missing person in the public consciousness, helping keep their memories alive. So sit back, sip your coffee, and listen to what's brewing this week. Listen, I'm just going to go ahead and warn you all. It is yeah. really hard to say Hall Mills murders. murders. <laughs> I've said Mall Mills 
I've said it all when I've been reading this. So just know. Just know. That apparently I'm a little dyslexic and that may kick in a little bit during (laughs) this episode. But it is Paul Mills. Paul Mills. Yes. Because there's a man and a woman. Okay. Mr. Hall and Mrs. Mills. Okay. Ready. Okay. And this case took place way back in 1922. And it was one that really, with so many shocking details and it had so many twists and turns and sort of like perplexing things that happened really mm-hmm. has stayed with this community and mm-hmm. captivated the people within that community so much at the time because it is a case with a very brutal murder of a reverend oh reverend hall who goes by dr hall or reverend hall so right. even though he was not a doctor but Oh, he goes by that. <laughs> I didn't know one could do that, but apparently you can. Maybe he got his, did he get his doctor of divinity? I don't think so. His doctorate? Well, well, yeah, he just wanted the title. I guess so. So his murder and the murder of Eleanor Mills, who was a choir singer at his, like she sang in the choir at his church. And they okay. were found dead together in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Oh, yeah, I would imagine back in 1922, you know, before you've got the movies and things that we have today, then these stories that you read in the newspaper, this was probably pretty tantalizing in terms of all the details. Yeah, captivating. Yes, captivating. So like you said, we are um, in the 20s. So, you know, we're set in this backdrop of the roaring 20s. And during that time, we did see a lot of social change. Mm -hmm. Women's dress was changing. Oh, yeah. You got the flappers. Yeah. Definitely a time of social change. This case did kind of strike a social chord because it was involving things that weren't typical during that time period. Because the victims Mm -hmm. did have an unconventional relationship that many raised eyebrows at within their community because they were engaged in an illicit love affair. <gasps> They're in a love affair? The reverend? Yeah, the reverend. And a choir and the, member. <gasps> yeah. No, no, no. Okay. Yeah, so that involvement in the church kind of added another layer of well, yeah. complexity. Yeah, yeah. Because in the 1920s, you know, the church was the centerpiece of most communities, like whether that was their religious life or social gatherings, it played Mm -hmm. a significant role in the community. So Mm -hmm. at the heart of this religious community then is Reverend Hall and Eleanor Mills, and they both were significant members with obviously the Reverend, duh, but even Eleanor within that church community. Mm -hmm. So it raised some eyebrows. Yeah, I'd say so. Reverend Hall was charismatic. He was really well respected as an Episcopalian minister. He was born into a religiously devout family, um, Mm -hmm. and he was passionate about the church from an early age. He graduated from seminary in Manhattan with honors and quickly rose through the ranks and became the rector, which I didn't know what that was because, you know, we just have a preacher right but he became the rector of saint john's episcopal church in new brunswick so the reverend of this church okay 
And his sermons were known to be like elegant, eloquent. He had a way of speaking. He was compassionate and really committed to his congregation. And because of that, he had a devout following within the congregation. So people really liked him. Mm-hmm. And according to crimelibrary.org, quote, he'd gone from New York to Basking Ridge, New Jersey, and finally St. John's in New Brunswick. In 1911, he married Frances Stevens, a woman of wealth who was seven years older than him, end quote. So he's this, like, ideal yeah. life. I mean, this exactly. Everything he's supposed to be doing. And he's good at what he does, it sounds like. Yeah. But then he meets Eleanor Mills, but who then. was, yeah, mm. but she was very vivacious. She was a musically gifted person. So she sang in the church's choir. Okay. Her family had a long history I read of involvement at St. John's Church. Her voice and warm personality made her a beloved figure within the congregation. But despite this radiant exterior, mm. she actually was longing for more in life. She was really pretty. She was small. She was slender. People liked her. She was kind of popular, I guess you would say. Okay. And she was very passionate, but her home life wasn't the home life that she wanted. So she was kind of forced to live a more frugal lifestyle with her husband, who just was more kind of go with the flow and was happy with the, I'm assuming she would describe mediocre lifestyle that they lived. Okay. So she's kind of, I'm, I'm taking the implications here that they have a typical husband-wife 1920s relationship, which I guess would make her more, I don't know, subservient or didn't have a voice maybe. In the going, and I think she wanted more of a lavish lifestyle. Mm, Okay, that just wasn't something her husband could afford. Okay, so as fate would have it, though, the paths of Reverend Hall and Eleanor Mills crossed in ways that would change their lives forever. I'm sure they did (laughs) because they shared passion for music that brought them together, and the Reverend was rumored to watch Eleanor in the choir as she sang because her voice would catch the attention of him during like church services. And through those interactions, they formed a bond with one another that transcended the typical pastor member relationship. Mm. Mm. And as their friendship blossomed, it evolved into this secret love affair that was known by a few individuals, and we'll get to that, like, later on. I just, I know I probably shouldn't, but I, because I know that preachers are humans just like everybody mm-hmm. else, but I expect more. Yeah, I feel like it's kind of like the president. Like, he's a human, mm-hmm. but right, you hold but, him to a higher standard. Exactly. Yeah. You're human, but you're my preacher. So Right. So You're supposed to be teaching me about right and wrong. That's right. Shape up, Reverend Reverend Hall. Shape up. So I think part of what kind of fueled this relationship was those constraints of their respective home lives. Because Mm -hmm. Reverend Hall and his wife, Frances, she was a very dedicated 
pastor's wife, if that makes sense. She was okay. very supportive of her husband's ministry. She was like the ideal pastor's wife. Mm-hmm. But their marriage, I read, had lost its spark over the years. Then you have Eleanor, who was married to a man named James Mill. But their marriage was met with unmet desires and discontent. Right. Because she's wanting a different lifestyle than what he wants or can afford to give her. Exactly. And despite the risks involved, we find um, Reverend Hall and Eleanor finding solace in each other's company. So they would seek refuge from their burdens in stolen moments of passion and love. The Mm -hmm. church, which had been a sanctuary for them individually, also became a place for their hidden romance to flourish, which is another... Yeah. In the church. Okay. Yeah. They exchanged love letters, bearing their hearts and their deepest desires to one another. Um, and, a, you know, with words about how strong their bonds were. And it just kind of made them grow closer and closer. And I read in one source um, that they actually used Eleanor's hymnal to exchange love letters in. <gasps> like, mm-hmm. This is getting worse and worse. I feel like this is a soap opera episode. Oh my goodness. The hymnal that should be songs to God. And it's love letters to each other. And it's full of your sin. Gosh. (laughs) But you know, this is a tight-knit community. So rumors and whispers of the affair did begin to circulate. So... People from the congregation caught glimpses of those stolen glances that they shared. And that would lead to raised eyebrows and those judgmental whispers. Mm. And the rumors began to spread that the two were more than just, quote, friendly. Mm-hmm. They were very friendly. Yes, they were. <laughs> the affair's existence actually threatened the fabric of that religious community because tensions simmered just beneath the surface. As those right, rumors were like there but not there there you know well yeah because i guess for them you never want to think that somebody who you respect is capable of of something like that oh, yeah. and so i'm sure there's that plus we're talking i mean i'm sure affairs happened at all times they're not you know but we just know more yeah, about them new. now but so yeah i'm sure it's just rumors and so there are those who were probably like come on people open your eyes. It's plain as day. Mm. It's happening. And then others who are like, no, he's a really good guy. You know, he's not going to do something like that. He's a man of God. He's not going to risk something like that. So I'm sure I could see it from both sides. And what's crazy is, which I mentioned this later on, James was that person. He was like, oh Mm. no, the reverend's too good of a man. He's my friend. Like he would never do that. So yeah, a lot of people... Yeah. We're blinded maybe by the title, I think. You know, you never think a reverend or a preacher, like you said, would do something like that. Before we get into what exactly happened to these two lovers, I do want to talk briefly about some details in their lives or the lives of those closest to the couple leading up to the day that their affair changed their lives forever. Ooh, okay. So on Thursday afternoon, September, this was September 14th, 
Frances, so the remember the wife, mm-hmm. had made preserves in her kitchen. She took a phone call from Eleanor Mills, who left a message with Dr. Reverend Hall. Okay. She told the Reverend at 6.30 that evening about the message. Another call came at 7 and around like 8.40, Dr. Hall said that he was going to check on Mrs. Mills' medical bills. Okay. Because he had been helping pay for some medical things she had going on. What? (laughs) Yeah. Like, I have heard of churches like... Um, paying for adoptions or helping out a family whose electricity has been turned off through yeah. the church. Right. I don't know that I've ever heard of just a pastor being like, oh, let's I'll pay, pay that for bill it. for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's a little fishy. And the yeah. fact that she's calling all these times, I'd be like, honey, this needs to stop. And it's 840. I'd be like, where are you going? Mm-hmm. On Thursday at eight forty, to pay a medical oh, bill, so. like yeah, what medical bill are you going to pay? Yeah. So he's leaving at like eight forty to go check on Mrs. Mills and this medical bill situation. Okay. So Francis plays solitaire for the next two hours while she waits for him to come home. Her brother Willie, or William, who was fifty, couldn't live on his own. I don't know why. Came out of his room to say goodnight, and then she went to bed. She wakes up, so that's like what? 10.40, she goes to bed? Yeah. She wakes up at 2.30 in the morning. She sees her husband's not home. So she gets dressed and goes to the church and search for a missing husband and brings her brother along with her. Because, I mean, well, maybe maybe he's up late writing a sermon. Um, I feel like you could do that at home. That's true. Good point. Touche. But yeah, I would I would be curious too. And I wonder, did she take her brother because like where he has a medical condition, maybe she can't leave him home alone either? I didn't get that impression from my research that it was something that he had to be watched constantly. Okay. I'm thinking more she just wanted the company and didn't want to be alone. Okay. Gotcha. So when they get to the church, the church was dark. And so then she's like, well, he was going to Eleanor's house to check on this medical bill. So she drives past where the Mills family lives. Uh It's also dark because it's Mm -hmm. 2.30 in the morning. Right. So then she's just like, (laughs) they're asleep. (laughs) I guess I'll go home. So she goes on home. But in the morning, when her husband still isn't home, she calls the the police department and she's like have any casualties been reported anybody but you know anything okay. weird happened been like car accident mm-hmm. anything yeah. like that but when she called she didn't leave her name so it's not like she called and said hey, my husband didn't come home last night this is you know mrs hall if something happens, could you give me a call? She just says, hey, were there any casualties that had been reported? And then she just kind of ends the phone call. Well, let me ask, weird. let me ask a couple of things. Okay. Number one, at what point did we switch from having operators? Oh, good question. Because if it's 
an operator, then they would have known if they were paying attention who called. You know, like, I'm thinking Andy Griffith show when he's like, right. hey, can you connect me with so-and-so? And mm-hmm. then and then they talk. Um, so that, or if she's so kind of frazzled by the fact that she doesn't know where her husband is and she calls that she doesn't even think to say her name. She just says, have there been any casualties reported? And then once she hears no... Then she's like, okay. And, you know, kind of hands up. Yeah. Yeah. I Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. So Google says that we have not used or that um, switchboard operators were used up into the 1950s. Okay. So. So I bet she would have had to speak to an operator. mm -hmm. Just to talk to Mm -hmm. either the police or whomever. Right, because I was just picturing, like, she dials the, you know, the line directly to the station. But I guess that wasn't the case. Hmm. So she speaks with them. She doesn't learn anything there. Okay. And she does continue looking for her husband. Okay. So at the same time, so remember, we have another family that's involved as well, because we have the Mills family. And according to Crime Library, James Mills was actually the acting sexton at St. John's and was a full-time janitor at a local elementary school. And remember, this is the guy that is married to Eleanor. Yes. He was described as hardworking. And I feel like you have to be hardworking to be a janitor. That job is not. For the faint of heart. Mm -mm, It is not. Especially in a school. Yeah. At the elementary school where I subbed like kind of long term before I moved to central Kentucky, mm-hmm. I was one day filling in for the family living teacher and she had lunchroom duty and her job was wiping down the tables in between grade levels when they came in. Oh my oh, God. No. <laughs> my hand touched a lot of things that day. <laughs> None of which and you I wanted like, to touch. Yeah. Y'all don't get paid enough. No. Y'all do not. Okay, so the janitor at the elementary school, he's married to Eleanor. He was described mm-hmm. as hardworking, but a lot of people said that he was unambitious and almost mm-hmm. not super intelligent. Okay, so, I mean, it's kind of like what her frustrations were. You know, if he's if he really is not ambitious and she's wanting that mm-hmm. lifestyle, then... yeah. And I think that is a lot of it. I think she was embarrassed by their home. It wasn't a super fancy home. It was described as a ramshackle home. It was about five blocks from the Hall residence. And Dr. Hall was a frequent visitor at their home. But I mean, James is highly active in the church. So is Eleanor. So that part kind of makes sense. Mm Mm-hmm. But like I said earlier, James claimed ignorance of this affair and said, quote unquote, that Reverend Hall was too good of a friend of mine mm-hmm. to like do anything like that. Right. But like we talked about, he's doing things that a typical pastor doesn't do, like paying out of his mm-hmm. personal pocket for mm-hmm. major surgeries. Maybe he's just 
maybe if we're playing ignorance, which obviously we know we're having, they had an affair, but if we're on the outside and we're playing ignorance, we could be like, oh, he's just a really upstanding guy that he's taking his own personal money to help pay for this. Yeah. I mean, maybe if, who knows, maybe he had done it before for another church member. I mean, we don't know, like had helped pay bills or something that would make it not seem as odd yeah maybe so at the (laughs) same time that francis is playing solitaire here according to crime library is what james was doing he had been sweeping up at St. John's at 5.45 on Thursday. He was late for dinner, arriving home at 6.15. After her, afterwards, he went out on the porch while his wife left the house to make a phone call to Reverend Hall. Pause here to say, I don't, why do you have to leave the house? Did they not have a phone? Maybe they didn't because they were Maybe. kind of strapped for cash. Yeah. And we have talked about cases before where people didn't have home phones. Yeah. And they would have true. to go. So maybe I, okay. We'll give her that one. She came back and left again, challenging him to, quote, follow her and find out when he inquired about her destination. So she's almost kind of challenging him. That's a little rude. Yeah. Crime Library goes on to say that he kept working on the porch until 945, then read the paper. At 1030, he went to the church to look for his wife, stopping for a soda, and arriving there around 11. She wasn't there, so he went home and went to bed. At 2 a.m., he went back to the church, but failed to find her. So very similar hmm. as Francis. A couple of questions. I get why the pastor's wife would think that he is at the church at 2.30. Oh, I mean, I don't get it. Yeah. But why would he... Be like, oh, I wonder if my wife is at the church at 2 a.m. That seems weird. I also find it weird, if he's worried about where his wife is, that he stops for a soda. He's like, you know what? Craving that peach knee-high. Gonna stop in and get it. That's what I was about to say. Maybe he just needed a little pick-me-up to, you know, keep going because it's so late. He needs a little bit of sugar. Yeah. And I think... He probably subconsciously did know this affair was going on. And that's Mm -hmm. the reason he goes to the church at 2 a.m. Yes. There's no other explanation. No, there's not. The next morning, though, without reporting his wife missing, he does go to work. At 8.30, he went to the church and he encountered Mrs. Hall, who mentioned that her husband hadn't been home the night before and that she had also been looking for him. And he asked whether she thought they eloped, like as a joke. No, you're not joking. Uh, no, you're not joking. That is no. No, I would sir. never say that about mm-hmm. Anthony. If Especially when missing. there's rumors going around that that's right. exactly what's happening. Like, I'll joke that Anthony has a work husband, but that's different. That's his yeah. friend, Josh. <laughs> like, that's different. <laughs> right. Hmm. He says, though, according to the crime library, that when he jokingly says, like, oh, you think they, or she's like, yeah, but they eloped, ha, 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 that she replies, quote, God knows, I think they're dead and can't come home. Uh, okay, weird comment. Weird comment. That's not where my mind would go. No. The first no. thing. 
Hmm. He says that she contacted him a couple more times that day and he replied, you know, my wife still isn't home. Don't know where she is. And that again, she would repeat the, oh, they must be dead comment. Yeah, no. I don't think, I don't think you go there. No. Interestingly, he did notice a page of his newspaper that had been missing. So he, you remember he reads the newspaper. There was a missing page and that page is on Dr. Hall's desk. And the article is about a prominent minister, like a more, I guess, nationally known minister, voicing his views on divorce. Oh. And I feel like this is when he should say, dun, dun, dun. Yeah, because it's almost like that makes me think maybe he was you know, saying, oh, I can't get a divorce. It's against my religion. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't do that. And then here she's found proof that a prominent minister says, oh, yes, you can. And that's why it's right. out because she and, wants to show him. Yeah. Mm. And it wasn't until Saturday after lunch that his wife's body had been found. Like he, he heard this on a Saturday after lunch. that his wife's body had been found. Like he didn't have any idea that she was dead. And so Mm. after that, then he goes to the hall residence to see what's up there. Mm. So much like in Romeo and Juliet, little did they know that this clandestine love affair would lead to a great tragedy. Right. On September 16th, so remember 1922, the bodies of Reverend Hall and Eleanor Mills were discovered lying lifeless in a secluded area that was often called Lover's Lane. And the crime scene was marked by both brutality and viciousness. And it sent shockwaves through their town. Wow. As if the shock of actually finally seeing them together which proves all of the rumors wasn't shocking enough. Oh, oh, it gets crazy. Okay. So we know their love story was once hidden in the shadows of the church. It Mm. now became a dark tale of passion, betrayal, and murder. So Mm. very, like I said, soap opera-ish. And as the investigation began... The spotlight turned to those who had been touched by the lives of these ill-fated lovers because they're trying to piece together all that they can. Mm. And here is how we found Dr. Hall and Eleanor. So this chilling discovery was made by two local fishermen who were just passing through the area. And as they walked along the road, they stumbled upon... This horrific sight. So they reach this small thicket of trees and the fishermen spotted the lifeless bodies of a man and a woman who were lying side by side. And we know, obviously, that was Dr. Hall and Eleanor. Mm -hmm. The bodies were arranged in a manner that seemed deliberate and staged, which they would later say intensified this eerie atmosphere of a crime Mm -hmm. scene. Mm Mm-hmm. The murder was extremely brutal and very violent, especially towards Eleanor. Mm. So both victims had been shot. 
their hands were intertwined um, and almost as if they were clutching each other in their final moments. Mm. And the sight of the two lying dead was just more than most people could really bear in this community. Right. Both were on their backs. Both had been shot in the head with a 32 caliber pistol. The man, so Dr. Hall, had been shot once and the woman had been shot three times. Wow. The bullet entered Dr. Hall's head just over his right ear and exited through the back of the neck. The woman was shot under the right eye, over the right temple, and over the right ear. So all on the same side of the head. Yeah, just multiple times. Okay. And while that, to me, is violent enough, you know, right. you've been shot yeah. multiple times. Right. little overkill, probably. Yeah. The police officers at the scene also noticed that the woman's throat hadn't just been cut, had been severed. Oh. There were already maggots in her wound, I read mm. in some articles, so they had been dead for a while, mm-hmm. for several hours. And their bodies were pointing towards a crabapple tree. The man had a hat covering his face and like his business card or his calling card placed at his feet, almost like a burial. Cause you know how they'll oh, put that little marker. Yeah. There? The foot marker. Yeah. And mm. even more creepy, I guess, is that there were torn up love letters <gasps> from the couple, just like kind of sp- Scattered in between the couple, stacked up, that kind okay. of Okay. Pause. Because you told me about the love letters that they would often get passed back and forth in the hymnals. Right. Which tells me that if somebody found these love letters, it could have been any number of the members of the church. Well, I'm wondering if they're leaving them or taking them, though. Because I almost feel like, like in high school, if Anthony had passed me a note, if we were dating then, like, I wouldn't leave that in my oh, right. chemistry book. Right. I would take it home with me. Okay. I get what you're saying. Well, so, unless they're, you know, in the reverend's office or something at the church. But I know of okay, at least two people who went to the church the night that these two were last together. Mm-hmm. And if those love letters were at the church, then either one of those two people could have gotten them. Well, when we get to theories, there's a lot of different theories. But I think, because there's more details that we learn about, particularly Eleanor's death. Okay. But it is so brutal. It was an act of passion. Like, whoever killed her was mad. They weren't just, you know, killing her to take her jewelry. Mm-hmm. They were mad. Yeah, this was not a random attack. Yeah. Okay. There were conditions on the body that hinted to a struggle that took place. Um, I read that Dr. Hall's face had some bruises on it. Um, his hand had a little bit of bruising. There were some cuts on his leg. So people think that he likely fought against whoever was trying to murder them. 
Mm-hmm. I did read that Eleanor's dress was torn, so many think that she too had fought desperately for her life. Mm-hmm. The combination of those gunshot wounds and physical injuries painted a very bleak picture of mm-hmm. a vicious and cold-blooded attack. As you can imagine, the news of the murder spread quickly, and this part, I don't know, because we talked about this in another case, I don't know if times have changed and things are handled differently now with investigations. Okay. I don't know if there was some question as to which jurisdiction this case fell in. I don't know if that played a part, Mm -hmm. but the crime scene was not very well protected. Mm. In fact, we had a lot of curious onlookers and the media on the scene passing Mm. around like this calling card, taking pieces of evidence. Mm. They would cut off sections of that crab apple tree as like a creepy souvenir. Oh gosh. So this whole, yeah, this whole area was contaminated. So, you know, we don't have that secure crime scene. We did have that jurisdiction issue because the crime was close to the border between Somerset County and Middlesex County. So Mm. New Brunswick being in one county and they arrived to the crime scene first But the crime was actually in Franklin Township, which was Somerset County. So there was some confusion as to who was supposed to handle what. And while that confusion is being kind of figured out, we have people trampling all over this crime scene. Mm. So this Lover's Lane was just right over the county border or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, if you remember, Dr. Hall's wife and Eleanor's husband... They see the couple or the, their spouses mm-hmm. and then they're gone throughout the night and then bodies are discovered like on Saturday. Right. So they really hadn't seen them since they left the home. But there mm-hmm. were people who saw the pair um, before they were found under this crab apple tree. Oh, okay. So they're out in public together somewhere. Ish. Okay. So according to Crime Library, there were actual several people who noticed sightings, particularly of Eleanor. So one person saw Eleanor, um, and he was a trolley driver. Mm -hmm. She was the last person to board the trolley Thursday night, or the last person he let off, sorry. So he was, she was the last passenger that he let off, and she walked toward this lover's lane area oh okay so she took the trolley there Mm -hmm. so she didn't go to the church well i guess she could have before this but the trolley ride is likely the last ride that she it was her last ride Mm -hmm. a lady named agnes and her children also saw her on easton avenue and looked like she was carrying a small like little package a person named mrs bless these people have are these common New yeah. Jersey names? They're weird. No, Appalachian I don't names. think so. I like them though. Got it too. <laughs> so, uh, Mrs. Bless also said that she passed Doctor Hall. Oh, going in the same direction as Eleanor. So first, she sees Eleanor on East Avenue. She's carrying the small parcel. Then Agnes sees um, 
Reverend Hall heading in that same direction. So together, but not together. Maybe, maybe Eleanor was carrying that newspaper article that says, you know, you can get a divorce. Here's a famous preacher saying it. And she had a packet of their love letters. That's what I was hearing because say. She maybe was, she had some yeah, love letters. Yeah, maybe she was like, listen, if you don't want to do this, then you don't mean all of these things and you can just take them back. And that would explain, because so then really anybody could have killed them if the love right. letters were already there. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. But I don't know how they would have known they were at Lover's Lane. Well, I, because, and Agnes says no one's following them, or it didn't appear oh. that anybody was. Yeah. Hmm. A student at a nearby college said that the church windows were lit up at 1.15 a.m. on Thursday night. A night watchman at the New Jersey State College for Women saw lights on in the Hall House all night. He also saw a woman go in to the house at 2.30, which could be Oh, Mrs. his Hall, wife coming back. Was, yeah. Mm-hmm. The Hall's maid remembers the call from Mrs. Mills coming in, the second one. And she saw the Reverend leave. And she also says, yeah, Mrs. Hall stayed home and she played solitaire. Okay. In the morning, this maid said that she saw William or Willie and he told her, quote, something terrible happened last night. And Miss, Mrs. <gasps> Hall and I have been up most of the night, end quote. Uh, but, but then I wouldn't elaborate. Hmm. So either there's some involvement there or she's just sh- so shaken up by the fact that he's not home. Like he should oh, be. Yeah. And that, maybe they stayed up. Yeah. Good point. A neighbor of the Millses, Millie Opie, said that Eleanor and Dr. Hall were meeting regularly at the Millses' apartment almost every afternoon. So we have a lot of questionable sightings. So we talked. So we have all of those sightings. And then we talked about those jurisdiction issues and they caused delays in the early investigation. So it wasn't until Monday after the bodies were discovered that the investigation actually was transferred to Joseph Stryker's office in New Brunswick. So there's a few days until we figure out, yeah, this office is taking care of this. Gotcha. Because they theorized that the couple had actually been killed in New Brunswick and then dumped in Somerset. Okay. Off this lane. Gotcha. So in the days prior to that transfer, we do have prosecutor Beckman saying that he had what he thought could be maybe like a motivation or a lead. Um, He thought that maybe the two victims had been killed by a jealous couple in that Lover Lanes area. But several weeks would really go by before much else happened in the case once we get that transfer. So about two weeks after the jurisdiction matter is figured out, we do finally get a break in the case, which, you know, in our world, two weeks doesn't seem like a long time. But for investigators and for the families, I'm sure. Yeah. With a lifetime. So one interesting thing I want to tell you before we go any further is that when the bodies were taken from the crime scene, they were not given autopsies. Okay, that seems odd. We find that out in that two weeks. 
that there's no autopsy. Okay. And Beckman is actually in the process of having their bodies exhumed. Because he's like, you know, it's probably important that we figure it out out as much as we can. Yeah. Yeah. So while they're doing that, then we have the Middlesex County Board of Freeholders offering a reward for information, but only if the crime took place in their county. They don't only then. That seems a little misguided. Yeah. And Dr. Hall's wife hired a um, like private investigator to her like to look into her husband's death supposedly yeah lots of things happening mm-hmm. so rather quickly those bodies were disinterred and autopsies were performed it was through these autopsies that we learn the details about the death that we know right that dr hall had the single bullet okay that he had the abrasions to his hands um particularly the right hand he had the brute some bruises on his left side of his face and he had that big cut on like the calf area of his leg so we find that out through the autopsy weirdly and i don't know if like i'm sure this is science but i don't know that eleanor's body was more decomposed than the reverend which i Hmm. thought was interesting yeah so they examine those three bullet holes and then they pay more attention to the degree of violence to the throat area so this wasn't like they just cut her throat they severed the windpipe they cut through the esophagus wow and i read in some articles that they cut her tongue out <gasps> mm-hmm. oh this was clearly a message they mm-hmm. were trying to send Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So naturally, police are going to talk to people closest to the victims. Uh, yes, especially with that brutality. Right. So they talk to Mrs. Hall and Mr. Mills, mm-hmm. and they're like, did you all know that these two were in an affair? Both of them are like, 
didn't have a clue. Mm. What are you talking about? Mm. I don't know. Read but the, the signs. Yeah. They're clearly the there. Yeah. Yeah. But the torn up love letters at the scene had many questioning how true that really was. Mm -hmm. Police being one that found this very difficult to believe. Yes. And they felt that Frances in particular at least knew more than what she was letting on. Mm -hmm. So she has this continued denial. There's some weird behavior that we're going to talk about. Some Mm -hmm. investigators begin to shift their focus to Frances and the possible involvement of her brother's William, there are so, just P.S. people, there are so many in the last half of this case. Oh, Henry's. people. Oh, Henry. Yeah. Okay. So they shift their focus to Francis with the possible involvement of her brother, William or Willie, mm-hmm. Henry Stephen, one cousin, one brother, and cousin Henry Carpenter. Okay. So, okay. There, and then there's going to be another so Henry William, that comes Henry and Henry. On. Yeah. Especially because of that comment about it was a terrible night and then we were up all night Mm -hmm. talking about Mm -hmm. it. And William did own a 32 caliber revolver. But when police talk to him, he's like, hey, I haven't used that in over a decade. Here it is. You can look at it. So he hands it over. But like, I haven't used it. Mm -hmm. And police do examine it thoroughly and they find that he's telling the truth. The gun didn't even work. Okay. Couldn't even shoot. So they're like, okay, but still their suspicion of this group continues. So they're thinking somebody else could have a gun. Right. Oh yeah. Henry Stevens, the older brother of the two was very well off. I read in some, Sources that many thought he could potentially be a millionaire, but he had a very short fuse. He got angry very quickly. Crime Library said that he was an expert. He had this expertise in firearms and he had been a marksman before retiring. So he can handle a gun. So then police are like, well, maybe he was the shooter. But Henry actually lived 50 miles away in another town in New Jersey. Mm. And the night of these murders, he was able to provide an alibi that seemed very solid. It was backed up by other people. Like they saw him there. Now, can I say something before you continue on with this line of uh, details? To me, because she got the worst of the aggression. I know this is illogical, but I feel like it's true that if you find out that your spouse is having an affair, how many people put more blame and anger on the other person Mm -hmm. than their spouse, even though it's your spouse who made the vow to you to be faithful. It takes two to tango. Yeah. So Because she got the brunt of the aggression and because I know that typically the anger goes, is pointed more at the other person, Mm -hmm. it makes me feel like whoever had committed the crime is someone who is associated with the pastor. I will say that. And the fact that his face was covered with his hat. I think so too, because like you said, I know 
logically we should be mad at the our partner mm-hmm. but we're more than often more mad at the other person mm-hmm. so i think if it had been opposite and the pastor's throat had been severed mm-hmm. then they would mm-hmm. be looking more at the mills family yes but because it was the other way around yep. i think that's why it's the hall family yep i would agree 100 percent. so remember earlier i said that francis had done some peculiar things yes Well, about three weeks after the murders took place, police actually found out that just a couple days after she finds out her husband's dead, Mm -hmm. she sent several items of clothing to a cleaners in Philadelphia and wanted the items cleaned and then dyed black before sent back to her. Whose clothing? Like her own clothing? Like she's in mourning? I just read clothing because it's, you know, not something that's going to say she did it, but it's something that's like, well, it's not really a good look for you. So you're saying some people were thinking, did she have it cleaned and then dyed another color because there was blood on it Uh or some kind of evidence, but you could excuse it away. Like I was trying to play devil's advocate and say, oh, Mm -hmm. maybe she was doing this because she's in mourning because she's lost her husband. And so she's taking some of her clothes and having it dyed black. Because I don't know really when that tradition stopped, but there was Mm -hmm. a certain period of mourning where, Mm -hmm. you know, widows would dress in black. So maybe that a good point. Maybe that is what that was. Trying to play devil's advocate. I'm trying. (laughs) Well, you know, we all know that the early investigation had some very frustrating moments. The crime scene contamination being a Mm -hmm. huge one. Mm -hmm. But by that fall, investigators felt they had finally kind of caught their stride. When this lady named Jane Gibson showed up with a witness testimony. Oh, okay. So on October 24th, Jane, who was a pig farmer... Which led to her nickname in the media of Pig Woman. Oh no. How unfortunate. I don't know what Jane Gibson looks like, but why can't it be Farmer Jane? Oh that's Farmer Jane. Yes. (sighs) Nope, she's pig woman. Okay. Yeah. So she told police that she witnessed the Hall Mills murders. Oh. Mm Mm-hmm. And here is her tale, according to Unsolved Casebooks. Okay. She says, on the night of September 14th, around 9 p.m., her dogs began barking ferociously. She assumed someone was trying to steal her corn, and so she went to investigate. And this is, like, where I'm forming this picture of this Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. farmer, Jane. Yes. Gibson spotted someone in the distance, so she got on her mule and went to track down the dark figure. I'm laughing just because it sounds like something that, you know, people back home might do. (laughs) But, and so I can picture her doing it. Yeah. But I'm sure this was a legitimate concern. And a lot of my grandma's sisters became farmers, including my Aunt Shorty, which is Aunt Charlotte, the baby. She's a farmer. And I'm telling you, you're not really scared of anything. You know, Mm -hmm. I guarantee you, if she heard something out there and she thought somebody was stealing the crops, she'd go out on her mule, too. She's just taking care of business. Yeah. 
So, as Gibson approached, she was surprised to see a group of four people, she says, near the crabapple tree on Lover's Lane. Hmm. No sooner had she arrived near the scene than she suddenly heard the sound of a gunshot. One of the group fell to the ground in a heap before the woman, and she heard someone scream, Don't! Don't! Further gunshots could be heard before Jane Gibson saw a second person drop to the ground. Gibson, at this point, stunned and afraid, fled the scene before anyone saw her. But she did hear one final scream from a female voice saying, Henry! Okay, and we know there's two Henrys, Mm -hmm. so. Police are wary of this story okay first of all they for some reason think that dr hall was already on the ground when he was shot and not he wasn't standing up then fell and this isn't consistent with what jane said jane also seemed to either add a little bit of spice or Mm -hmm. slightly alter her story each time she retold it okay So, despite initially saying she only saw silhouettes in this moonless night sky, soon she added that there was a car parked near the location, and thanks to a passing-by car, their headlights allowed her to get a good look at these four individuals. And then she's hearing specific names. So, all of this could be clouded by, because time has passed before she even comes forward, Mm -hmm. could be clouded by or clarified by newspaper (laughs) articles and things like that that have come out in the meantime with people's names and details and theories and And pictures yeah yeah and yeah because that happens too Mm -hmm. so you know one tale of events she recalls this is like the with the headlights that pass by Mm -hmm. that the group consisted of two men and two women one of the women was wearing a long coat and one of the men had like really brushy hair and a mustache and jane even added that she heard an argument concerning some notes before one of the women tried to flee unsuccessfully but was dragged back to the apple tree along the alongside the dead man then she's asked a third time Mm -hmm. in a third interview what has happened Mm -hmm. and according to that unsolved casebook she then stated around 1 a.m she returned to the spot from which she had fled to retrieve an item she thought she dropped. Oh, I'd be and like, that the- item's gone. I'm not going back yeah. here there. <laughs> yeah. I hope it wasn't important <laughs> right. because it's never coming yep. back. Exactly. And she says on this outing that under the crab apple tree where the executions took place, she saw a woman knelt by the body of the male victim crying and was like mourning this person's death. And she says, that woman was Frances Hall. See, and I feel like because her story changed, it could be 100% true. It could be accurate. Right. And, you know, they say as time passes, your recollection, you can maybe remember things. That's why police always give a card. Like if you remember any other detail, give me a call. Because sometimes if you spend time and you're really focusing maybe you'll remember something that you didn't initially but because it changes so much each time it makes you feel like none of it's true Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, because hers are are like dramatic changes. Mm -hmm. Another witness would cast doubt on Jane's story. This lady named Mrs. Fraley lived nearest to the location of the murders. I read that she was so close to the scene of the crime that if she looked out her window, she could have seen the crime take place. Oh, so it's right there. Yeah, but she stated that she heard nothing on the night that the two lovers were killed. She also said that she spoke to Jane that next morning and that Jane didn't say anything about a death or a murder, didn't say anything about any weird accident. And Mrs. Fraley says that's just really out of character for her because Jane was a notorious gossip. Oh, yeah. I mean, she would have mentioned it. Clearly, because it sounds like it. Plus, I remember you saying now that the police believed that they could, that they were murdered in New Brunswick and their Mm -hmm. bodies brought there, which means farmer jane couldn't have seen it happen there if it actually happened elsewhere and everybody would have heard the gunshot and i would think that farmer jane would have mentioned it to mrs fraley oh for sure especially if she's like a gossipy woman she may Mm -hmm. not have gave all the details away but she would have been like oh you never would have guessed my dogs were barking yeah i thought somebody was stealing my corn yeah Mm -hmm. but she didn't hmm In the days following her original statement and her identification of Francis, Jane would also name her male attack, like the male attacker, not her male attacker, but the male attacker. And here we have Cousin Henry. So Cousin Henry, who I'm just going to call Cousin Henry because there's so many. Right. Lived just two doors down from Francis, but he immediately gave an alibi that he was dining with friends and his wife at the time of the murders. And the people that were with him were like, yep, we were at dinner. Okay. But on November 20th, 1922, prosecutors took their case hoping for indictments before the Summersville Grand Jury. And the this took, I think, eight days. There were 67 witnesses that were called oh. in to give pieces of evidence. Mrs. Fraley was one who casted doubt on Jane Gibson's testimony. Oh, the other neighbor who didn't hear anything? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Jane now stated that she heard gunshots around 10 p.m. on the night of the 14th. So, again, just times, times are changing. No. But she was called in. To give her testimony. Mm-hmm. But shortly after the jury convened after this testimony, and they mm-hmm. did not deliberate very long, it was less than an hour. And when they came back, this was the verdict that they read. Quote, okay. for reasons which to them seemed sufficient and controlling, the grand jury took no action on the Hall Mills murder case and laid the matter over. This does not necessarily mean that the matter cannot be taken up by this or a subsequent jury, end quote. So they, they failed to win. There's not enough, not enough mm-hmm. evidence to go yeah. to trial. Yeah. And so we're at a standstill. And the case really kind of remained that way for about four years. But finally, in July of 1926, we're going to trial because oh. we have... Yeah, we've arrested some people. Oh. You know, we've 
we've nearly forgotten about this case by now because it's been four years later but some amazing things happened that led to this trial in july so on july 3rd a piano tuner this is like so 1920s i feel like all these things yeah named author geist filed a petition for divorce from his wife of just 10 months and inside this petition for divorce was this claim that his wife had taken five thousand dollars from her employer for her silence about the murder of dr hall and eleanor (gasps) and who may this employer have been yeah it was none other than francis hall (gasps) oh So, whoa, yeah, Louise, which was author's wife, was the former maid <gasps> of the hall residence, and she's the one who gave the alibi that Francis was yep. in there playing solitaire. Yep, mm. she'd given all that evidence in defense of the Hall family back in 1922 in front of the grand jury. Wow. But he claimed his wife had confessed to him that Dr. Hall had confided in her his plans to elope with Eleanor. And rather than keeping that confidential between Louise and Dr. Hall, Mm -hmm. she actually told Francis. Mm. So in this new tale of events, Louise told Francis where Dr. Hall and Eleanor were planning to meet. And then Francis ordered her chauffeur. Okay, how much money do these people have? First of all, this is the this is the pastor, right? Which we did we did talk about. Francis came from money, so maybe this is her money, right? And her brother's a millionaire, so maybe like I'll pay for your chauffeur. Yeah, if Anthony's brother was a millionaire, I'd be like, I need you to write me a check. (laughs) (laughs) I will not be paying this back. Thank you. But she t- tells her chauffeur to take her to this lover's lane with her brother, William. And this story hits the press. Oh, yeah. This the is pastor's scandalous. wife yeah, paid off her maid and goes to the location where these two star-crossed lovers were found murdered. And then kills them both. Right. So, I mean, this is like big news. Yeah. On July 28th, just over three weeks after that story hit the press, Frances Hall, along with her brothers William and Henry Stevens and cousin Henry, were arrested for the murders of Edward Hall and Eleanor Mills. On November 3rd, 1926, the trial began. Um, At this point, cousin Henry had successfully partitioned to be tried separately, and he ended up never being tried at all. Oh, And as with the grand jury, Jane Gibson, Farmer Jane, was once again the star witness for the prosecution. I'd be like, as soon as she gets on the stand, I'd say, "Uh, how many times has your story changed? Listen, I read she couldn't even walk in the courtroom. She had to be carried in on a stretcher because she was ill, like very ill the days prior to this. I wonder how much of that was true. I don't know Farmer Jane, but she seems a little, shall we say, dramatic. Yeah, good word. 
Also, interesting to me, before her testimony could even begin, it was interrupted with screams of liar, liar from the gallery. Mm. Okay. I immediately would think, oh, obviously this is someone who supports Francis and her family, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And they think that Jane is a liar. No. These were coming from Jane's own mother. Oh. Yeah, that's weird. That's a little bit worse. Yeah, so weird. Just like before, though, Jane's story changed again. Of course it did. Of course it did. One major difference was that Jane now stated that she had seen William and Brother Henry alongside their sister Frances, so not Cousin Henry, as she had said in 1922. Okay. Yeah, because her memory has been sharpened by four years after... Mm -hmm. The crime right this kind of sounds like salem witch trials like we're just changing things we're just adding yeah. people we're making up names yeah but this left everyone wondering who was missing then because in her original story she had seen four adults not five yeah because obviously the pastor and uh, eleanor are two. eleanor there yeah Hmm. So maybe then, she can't count very well. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe two have similar builds, and like she saw one, and then one bent down to tie a shoe, and it was the other one. I don't know. I don't know. And Salt Casebook said that in order to discredit Jane's testimony, it was pointed out. You mentioned this earlier that um, she had been unable to pick out suspects when shown pictures mm-hmm. until weeks later after. Frances Hall's picture had been featured in the newspaper. Exactly. And then she's like, there she is. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, have you ever noticed when you hear a new word or you see a certain car or something for the first time and then you see it everywhere? Oh, like when you buy a new car and everybody has your car? Mm-hmm. And you think, oh, how did I miss it before? I, I think memory mm-hmm. is so malleable that it could be the case. And maybe... You know, I'm mocking Farmer Jane here, but maybe she really did see a shadow. But then after seeing the picture, she has convinced herself that that she saw more detail than what she did. Mm -hmm. Well, like today, I heard the ice cream truck when I was sitting outside reading through this podcast again. And so then I was like, well. Sometimes it takes a while for the ice cream truck to get through because we back up to another subdivision. So sometimes it'll be in that subdivision. It takes a minute to get to mine. So I was like, well, I'll go in the living room and I'll open up the window, the curtain, the blinds, so I can watch for the ice cream truck because, you know, I'm seven and a half months pregnant and I like ice cream trucks. (laughs) Even though I had already ate two packs of Gushers, but it's fine. (laughs) So I was waiting for the ice cream truck, which ended up being Kona ice and what was not, it was a little disappointing because I wasn't in the mood. But every time I would, like, glance up, I thought my mailbox was a person looking in my window. So maybe it was something similar. Yeah. And you've just convinced yourself that that's what it was. Yeah. Maybe. (laughs) Further discrediting, though, Farmer Jane, her neighbor George, actually says on the stand that Jane offered him money if he supported her statements. Oh, that's not a good look. Okay. Yeah. And the defense also did their best just to paint Farmer Jane as a crazy person with 
an unreliable testimony. Mm. Yeah. Another witness who claims to have seen Brother Henry near the site of the murder was a man named Ralph. Now, what's interesting with Ralph is that he was also, according to my research, a past lover of Eleanor's. <gasps> okay. So, well. he claimed that on seeing him, Brother Henry fired two warning shots at him, which then he's like, okay, bye, and leaves. So this means that either Ralph or Farmer Jane are lying because Jane said she heard four shots, mm. but if she was there the whole time, as she claimed to have been, she would have heard six mm -hmm. because she would have heard those warning shots. Right, because Dr. Hall was shot once. And Eleanor was shot three times, so that's mm -hmm. the four, but there would have been the two warning shots, hence six. Yep. Another witness was also easily dismissed by the defense. His name is Henry Dickman, so we have our next oh, Henry. Yeah, Henry III. Yep, Henry the Third. He was a former state trooper who claimed he was paid $2,500 by Cousin Henry in order to drop any investigation into the Hall family or Cousin Henry's family and their involvement in these murders. The problem here, though, is that Dickman didn't really have the best reputation. Mm. I read that he had just been released from prison, and one article oh. said that it was Alcatraz. Oh! Because he had been not a very truthful not an upstanding police officer. He wasn't the gold standard, if you know what I'm mm -hmm. saying. So many didn't buy what he was selling. For the defense, though, both Francis and William took the stand and both denied any involvement. And after a month-long trial, which included the evidence of 157 witnesses. How did our witness list grow that much? Well, they had a ton of just the indictment thing. Yeah, wow. So, I guess this town does a lot of talking. Yeah. <laughs> but the time for talking was over. Yeah. And on December 3rd, 1926, after five hours of deliberating, the jury returned its verdict. And Francis, William, and Brother Henry were all acquitted. And Cousin Henry never went to trial. Hmm. Which, again, says that there's not enough physical evidence to convict. Yeah, and, you know, at this point, I feel like we all kind of have our gut feeling mm -hmm. at this point. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sure you guys are like, there's no way there could be any potential theories. Well, you thought wrong. Because <laughs> there are nine oh, that I goodness. read on Crime Library. They're short that I want to discuss with you guys because this is still technically an unsolved case. Okay. So one that the... Prosecutor Beckman was quick to dismiss was that the Ku Klux Klan did it as a justice in their eyes. Oh. Because I have a, a couple, I have a couple things with this, but, but in this theory, they did it because they frowned on the loose morals of the Reverend and Eleanor. And people say that they often would pose bodies 
in the ways that they were posed, like pointed towards trees or whatever. Mm -hmm. And there's a book that the author goes more in depth in this theory. Mm -hmm. But here are my problems. Here are my problems. I do not have a wide knowledge of the Ku Klux Klan because I think obviously they're evil and I just, you know, that's what I go on. So I don't spend my time reading up up on them. But um, from the limited knowledge that I do have, I feel like their acts generally leave a clear message. I don't think we'd be like, hmm, was this the Ku Klux Klan? So again, I just... I just don't see it. Yeah. There are some that would argue that Mrs. Hall did this all by herself out of revenge. Mm. I I just don't think that this would be something she would would or could do on her own to take on her her husband a grown man and another grown woman. She also I think was so dedicated to her husband's ministry that even if she did know about the affair, I don't think she would have ever done anything about it. I don't think she would have caught them in the act like on her own because she just like took such great steps into kind of hiding that this affair was going on. Hmm. Hmm. But my biggest thing here is I just don't think she could have done it by herself. She wouldn't right. need help. Right. Because I would think her husband could overpower her, especially with the help oh, of somebody yeah. else. Yeah, definitely. There are some that believe James Mill, so Eleanor's husband, did it because he knew his wife was unfaithful, more than once, obviously, mm-hmm. and that she had challenged him to follow her. Because remember, she was like, well, if you want to yeah, know where I'm going. Follow me and find out. Follow me and find out. But several people saw him working on his porch. He was like fixing some window boxes. He did go visit the church around 10.30 and the time of death for Dr. Hall and Eleanor was never officially established. It was loosely estimated to be around 10, but no one pursued this lead very thoroughly from what this source said. Um, But again, I just don't... I don't see it being Kim, one, because most of the violence was towards Eleanor. But, mm-hmm. you know, he did say that him and the pastor were were really good friends and he would never do this. So maybe he was more mad yeah. at Eleanor than he was at Dr. Hall. Maybe. Well, especially if he knew that she had had an affair already. And now what was happening mm-hmm. again... Oh, that's true. Like, oh, we've already, we've been through this before. Now you're going to do it again. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. There is a theory that it was Mrs. Hall and the brother, William, mm-hmm. with William being the killer. We know that no weapon was ever found at the scene um, and that the 30, 32 had been used to kill Dr. Hall and Eleanor. I read in a couple places that the Halls did have guns of that same caliber and that gun wasn't seen again. I didn't really find that in a lot of sources. That was Mm -hmm. just like maybe one or two. 
Some think that William also posed the bodies and cut Eleanor's throat because when rage overtook him, he didn't really know what was going on. His buddies that worked at the fire station seemed to think that he knew more about the murders before the bodies were discovered, but they didn't offer anything at William's trial. Like they weren't Mm. brought up and said, oh, he knows more than what he's telling you all. Right. But I don't think he would have cut Eleanor's throat. And removed her tongue. I mean, he may have shot them. Mm-hmm. But I definitely think it was the wife that slit the throat of Eleanor. Francis definitely cut that. Yeah. Because I almost think the act of cutting out a tongue seems very mm. psychological in terms of mm-hmm. reasoning, like, you're never going to be able to tell anybody about this. You're not going to be able to talk about this. So, mm-hmm. I'm curious about that injury. The fifth theory is that Ralph did it. So, remember, he's the guy that has the testimony that kind of throws into question Farmer Jane's testimony. Mm-hmm. He was the other lover. Mm-hmm. Some believe that he was jealous and angry with Eleanor since they had once had an affair and she had kind of moved on. And in this theory by Crime Library, he and a woman who wanted the minister for herself often spied on the two, according to this source. And although he originally denied it, he finally did admit to being near the crime scene the night when the murder was going on. The day after the police who suspected he may have played a part questioned him, his expensive car caught fire and burned to like the shell. Oh. So a lot of people think that he may be more than than what he was saying. And he would have had a reason to kill both the Reverend and Eleanor. And he certainly would have been passionate enough to slit Eleanor's throat but Mm. unless what you said earlier that the parcel she was carrying was maybe some of their letters I don't know how the letters would have got there I'm gonna bring something up in a minute okay there is another theory that there was a rival of Eleanor's who wanted the reverend's attention to herself so sort of playing into theory five Um, There were a few others in the choir and in the church who hated Eleanor for being favored by the Reverend. And a few days after the murder, someone tore up several hymnals. Mm. Um, We know that the symbolism there. Mm -hmm. So some say that it could have been one of those members, but there was never any evidence brought up against her. Okay. Theory seven is that Francis hired an assassin So, there was a friend of her brother that claimed, this was like 50 years later, nearly 50 years later, on the day of the murders, that William hired him to carry two envelopes, each filled with $6,000, to a young man in an alley. But the act of hiring these quote-unquote thugs didn't fit well with the character of Mrs. Hall. Mm -hmm. And so, she didn't... She didn't want to be seen, but she would pay somebody else to be do it to Listen, do it. So that's a lot of money in the nineteen twenties. Yeah, it is. But she has a chauffeur and a maid, so uh, that's true. 
Then there are some that think this was just a random robbery in Theory 8. But no. Mm -mm. No. Like, they cut out her tongue. No. Mm -mm. And then some people think, in Theory 9, that Farmer Jane slash Pig Woman did it. And I read in the in this source that um, the defense made this suggestion as something within the realm of possibility, giving how many inconsistencies she had to her story, but she had no motive, no pistol. And she didn't even really know who Eleanor and Dr. Hall were. Mm. So that theory doesn't make sense. Yeah. So what's, what are you thinking? Okay. I'm going to throw, I'm going to throw you a curveball right here oh, okay are you gonna do murder suicide no i oh, okay. am going to say that it was ralph the first lover and here's okay. why i'm gonna say that i get why the attention was on reverend hall's wife i get why there was suspicion on eleanor's husband the reason i think it was ralph is because what if what if Because we know this crime scene was not handled with care. We know that Mm -hmm. it was contaminated. I don't know what was collected in terms of evidence, what was disposed of, etc. What if those letters at the crime scene were actually the love letters between Ralph and Eleanor? And, you know, if they're just like, I love you, you mean so much to me, it wouldn't mention a name. So how would they know that it wasn't ones that Eleanor had written to Reverend Hall? So what if he brings those because he knows this affair is going on and he says, you must not have meant any of these things. And he rips them up and then he kills the Reverend, which he feels bad about, which is why he puts the hat on his head and he puts the calling card like you know, a proper burial, but there's such violence and the tongue being cut out psychologically because he feels like she tells lies and that the words that she speaks aren't true. That's my theory. I like it. Mm -hmm. Today, we took a journey into this 1920s mystery that took us deep into the heart of New Brunswick, New Jersey, where the lives of two star-crossed lovers, Reverend Edward Hall and Eleanor Mills, were brutally cut short. Despite the efforts of law enforcement and the captivating courtroom drama, the Hall-Mills murder case has remained officially unsolved, leaving behind a legacy of unanswered questions and lingering mysteries. The lack of conclusive evidence and conflicting testimonies continue to shroud the case in uncertainty, keeping the true identity of the killer or killers hidden in the shadows of history. Yet the enduring fascination with the chilling unsolved crime serves as a reminder of the complexities of life and the mysteries that still lie buried in time. As we bid farewell to this case, we're left to contemplate the tragic fate of Reverend Hall and Eleanor Mills and the impact their story has had on the world of true crime. The shadows of the chapel still echo with the whispers of secrets, lost to time but never forgotten. Their tale endures a haunting reminder of the thin line that separates love and passion from obsession and betrayal. Again, please like and join our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, to continue the conversation and see images related to this episode. As always, follow us on Twitter at Cases Coffee, on Instagram at Coffee Cases Podcast, 
Or you can always email us suggestions to coffeeandcasespodcast at gmail.com. Please tell your friends about our podcast so more people can be reached to possibly help bring some closure to these families. Don't forget to rate our show and leave us a comment as well. We hope to hear from you soon. Stay together. Stay safe. We'll We'll see see you you next week. knows Maggie and Allison. Whoop, whoop. I hope you guys know I do a little dance every time I do that. I'm like, <laughs> my arms. that's why we need video. And I, yeah, <laughs> oh god, <laughs> then you all would really judge me. And I'm excited that we heard from so many of you guys the last couple of weeks. We heard from Sarah, Spartacus, and Ashley on Instagram. And from Sarah without an H on mm-hmm. Facebook suggesting a case. Mm-hmm. And to Kat, Morgan, and Twyla for listening or listening, listing us as recommendations for others to listen to. I know. I loved that. I got so excited. I love when you guys give us a shout out to other people. We also have lots of love for Leanne, who left us a Facebook Mm -hmm. review that we just saw. And she wrote, quote, Maggie and Allison bring light to those lesser known cases. I enjoy learning about ones I haven't heard about before. I think one discussing a case and the other giving good insight and asking questions makes things very interactive. There's never any judgment and I enjoy their friendship. My new favorite podcast for all the traveling I do in my work day, end quote. Thanks, Leanne. That was super sweet. That was nice. Also, not listed here, but because I forgot to tell you, my boss's boss started listening to us Aww. and she messaged messaged me on Monday and she was like, I just want you to know you kept you and Allison kept me company all weekend. And I was like, how how very nice. That's super sweet. And this is cool, I think. Let's not forget to mention. I don't even know how to say this country, Allison. Latvia. But now but now I feel like we need to move there. <laughs> because in that country, we are number one yeah. on their true crime charts this week. So we're above crime junkies. We're above true crime garage. We're above more we're above it all. In Latvia. Yeah. Thank you, Latvia. So we love that you. Was, yes. And now we need to vacation there. Yeah. I thought that was so crazy. You know what else made me so happy this week is that we also have love to shout out to our two new Patreon members, Tara and Michelle. Welcome to the CNC fam. We are so excited to have you here and we really appreciate your support of the show. And speaking of Patreon, which is like a total family, Mm -hmm. speaking of Patreon, we have swag boxes going out at the end of this month to those who have joined at the $12, $15, and $20 level Mm -hmm. and who doesn't love getting gifts in addition to knowing that you're helping keep the show going. Also, 
I feel like I got my own personal swag box in the mail, or I guess I should say Ezra got a swag box in the mail, (laughs) because one of our Patreon people and longtime listener of the show, we love her, Trisha, was the sweetest, and sent Ezra a baby gift so if you're curious what she got him we're going to do a live or the live opening of that baby gift will be posted on patreon Mm. so if you haven't joined Mm -hmm. and you want to know what i got or know what all the fuss is about yeah check out the episode Oh, oh yeah, yeah that we did I a couple weeks it. back we did mm-hmm. give them that little sneak peek we yeah, did. Mm-hmm. of charlie brand brand yep. that episode you can check that out because that'll give you just a little sneak peek of what kind of content you'll find over on patreon.com slash coffee and cases and we've made it easy for you because you can also just click that in the show yep. notes to exactly. join today and with that all of our love is going out to each and every one of you until next week sleuth hounds 